That's life That's what all the people say You're out in high April Shot down in May But I know I'm going to chase that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June That's life And it's funny as it may seem Some people get their kicks Stomping on a dream But I don't let them get me down Cause this final world It keeps me spinning round Well, I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and loud and loud I find myself flat on my face I just pick myself up and get back in the race There's life, oh, you know I can't deny it Many times I thought of quitting, baby But my heart won't buy it A pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and loud And I know one thing Each time I find myself flat on my face I just pick myself up and get back in the race But my heart won't buy it And if there's nothing shaking here Come this July Well, I'm gonna hold myself in a little ball And die, oh, it's life And it's funny as it may seem Some people get their kids Stomping on a dream But I don't let them get me down Cause this final world It keeps me spinning Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. My name is James Cordner. I'm the host this evening, every Saturday evening of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. My website is freeyourmindne.com. I hope you're watching there. If not, then uh, get yourself over there every Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
and join the chat, get in on the action. Um, tonight, I have with me this evening a couple of fine gentlemen who have a podcast of their own. Tonight, I'm joined by the gentleman from PSYOP Cinema, and we are going to be discussing uh, their findings and their their ideas surrounding the Joker and his his uh, different forms in entertainment. And uh, without further ado, let me bring in those gentlemen right now. We have Mr. Thomas Millery, and we have Brett, Mr. Brett. I uh, don't know your last name, but that's okay. We don't need to if you don't want to. So how are we tonight, gentlemen? Welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Doing great. Thanks, thanks for, for having us, James. Yeah, thanks for having us, James. Yeah, anytime. Um, so yeah, introduce yourselves. I mean, you're new faces to, to my audience here, and uh, tell us tell us a little bit about your show and your your mission statement with the with the show you guys do and and uh and we'll take it from there yeah so our show like you said is psyop cinema um and we look at cultural engineering uh we look at hollywood mind control we uh we usually do this through a deep dives into particular directors filmographies actually we've been thinking about joker stuff for a while on our show on and off because the first one that we director that we covered in depth was Christopher Nolan. And we've also done other ones like Zack Snyder uh, or David Fincher. And we, we like to go through these particular directors uh, movie by movie and just to kind of get the big picture at how these different voices fit within the overall mega psyop of Hollywood. But then sometimes we don't do directors. Sometimes we do that. And um, after looking at the Walking Phoenix Joker film over the summer, we just found so much with the character of the Joker, uh, the archetype of the trickster, and things that a weird feedback loop of a spectacular crime and fiction reality that Brett will be saying a little bit more about in a second that we've been lingering on Joker stuff for quite a bit. Um, and we'll talk more about different aspects of that research. But yeah, we look at Hollywood. We look at uh, themes of dissociation as it relates to uh, cultural manipulation, to the occult, to transhumanism. That's what we do. Awesome. Awesome. We're, we're, we're hitting it off already, dude. You know, I, uh, did a, I did a quite a deep dive with my brother, Ivan, uh, Ivan from Phoenix, Ivan Oyola Jr. He has got his own show. Uh, and we did about, and I told you this before, but in case anyone out there hasn't checked it out, check out that show, uh, by Ivan guy next door speaks. You can find him on the one great work network and, uh, under the creators tab, go over there, check out his stuff. And we did about almost four hours on just the Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Joker movie directed by Todd Phillips. And I'll tell you, man, there's, there's almost, it feels like there's no end. You feel like you, you watch it a million times and you find something new each time. And you, it's like, I'm having a tough time putting all the information in a condensed package with a nice little bow on it and saying, here, have it, you know, but I'm glad you guys are here to talk about it, man. So let's, let's get it going. What's up? Yeah, totally. I mean, so it's <laughs> one of the, one of the challenges of beginning the conversation is I think uh, part of the, the nature of this thing. Um, is it, do you start with fiction? Do you start with the movies Right. Or do you start with reality? Do you start with the and, and how, where do you start with reality? Do you start with the deep politics angles. Do you start with, you know, the assassination of John Lennon or, you know, the assassinations in the 60s? Because this is all part of the feedback loop that the, the Joker is, is exploiting here. So, I mean, I guess the point of departure for me was 
I'm, I've been a huge film buff since I was a, a teenager. And Martin Scorsese, obviously one of my favorite directors, just the absolutely foundational director to the new Hollywood aesthetic, you know, and to, I mean, like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or Spike Lee or all these people are, are really pretty much nothing without this thing that Scorsese, like, invented with Mean Streets and, and other movies. I mean, he's just, you really, but anyway, I'm kind of gushing. I mean, he is just super innovative as a, as a director. And so when um, the Joker came out, like, I mean, I didn't know what to expect in the theater. And I immediately saw they were using the old, like, Warner Brothers logo and, like, we're in this post-cinema era. And I mean, I think most cinema is just total garbage. It's not even like cinema anymore. It's like some kind of third generation imitation. And this actually, weirdly, even though it is itself kind of an imitation, it looks very real. And it's trying to recreate this this period around 1981, right? Isn't that when it's set? 1981. That's that's the key year um, to the cycle. And uh, like I read critics uh, who, you know, it was commonly compared, Taxi Driver was brought up over and over and over. And yeah, there's some obvious references to Taxi Driver, but no, the, it's, the plot is like, a, is like a reimagining and reworking of the king of comedy. And that got mentioned like as an afterthought, right? But so that was the first thing that kind of clued me in. There was something really weird and interesting going on here. Um, and so that sort of enters the, the feedback loop because, um, so t taxi driver okay this is where where do you been you've been with taxi driver or wallace i say you begin with with wallace because i mean i was just studying today i mean i i've neglected to go into this angle the conspiracy but i mean the wall the wallace killing is the official story is completely impossible right there's too many bullets too many victims too many wounds for only bramer right to have to have done it and you can go down the bramer rabbit hole but that seems to be part of you know people like e howard hunt and stuff their names come up and other usual suspects who are part of the whole you know conspiracy cycle of the 60s right with oswald and sirhan sirhan and and the rest of it but um <clears throat> but bramer is very important because his motive supposedly is just fame you know he's just he just wants fame and he has a diary right that he supposedly published which some people think e howard hunt <laughs> may have written this diary so he's the first guy that's the great fame seeker he's going to publish this diary and then enter paul schrader who writes a script supposedly based on the diary before it was published even though the movie came out afterward um and uh so schrader writes this this movie taxi driver uh that's supposedly capturing the psychology of this dangerous loner weirdo who can commit political assassinations for no reason at all uh without warning the fame thing isn't quite in there although it's interesting because it's already there with with bramer it is there with with travis bicklash or he wants a kind of respectability of, of some kind but it's not quite he wasn't on celebrity in the same way that rupert pupkin does okay so that movie when it comes out immediately and this is kind of like not quite down the memory hole, but many people aren't aware of this. That movie was hugely controversial when it came out, Taxi Driver, and it was predicted by cultural critics, more or less conservative cultural critics, or just responsible liberal cultural critics, that this is going to inspire people to do stuff like that. Because they understand monkey see, monkey do. If nothing else, you put this stuff up to people, they're going to start imitating it, right? Is there no limit to the level of the psychopathology that we're going to put in the stream? Besides the fact that they're sexualizing a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, Right. And that was even Hollywood could still find that a little bit despicable. So it was very controversial. And then lo and behold, it inspires the killing. Supposedly, this is John Hinckley Jr., who uh, tries to assassinate Ronald Reagan, we're told, in, in 1980, in what, December of 1980. And Hinckley's defense, successful, his um, insanity defense is that he'd seen the movie hundreds of times. He had developed a, a 
fixation identification with Travis Bickle. Um, and then that had led to this like secondary fixation on Jodie Foster in real life. And he was confusing reality and fiction. He couldn't tell reality from fiction anymore. He was crazy. He was nuts. And he was doing this to impress Jodie Foster. That's why he went to shoot Ronald Reagan, of course. I mean, he's crazy. So we just all accept that. But it, I mean, John, I mean, as you probably know this, James, right? I mean, John Hickleger was an associate of the Bush family, of the vice president's family. Yeah. Um, we can go deeper into that, but this is not a lone wolf. This is somebody who's cl- who probably knows the vice president. Okay. Right. And so, um, and then, th- so then uh, that, and then three months later, you have, you have Mark David Chapman also supposedly just seeking fame who, who kills John Lennon. You have the catcher in the rye thing. We going to do connecting both of them, but then jump forward. And then you have a, a year later and you have the King of comedy and Martin Scorsese. Now who got, who made the movie that inspired this crime is now making a movie that's reacting right to these movies and he seems to pull this off without with impunity right without ever being questioned um about about what he's doing here and we get into the king of comedy right and just the predictive programming and and the level of it so there's an understanding by now that there's a feedback how there's understanding on the inside within the cultural creators circles within the cultural manager circles that um there's a feedback loop here that we can play off of, right? You put stuff out there and inspires acts, right? And then you can react to it and program people too. And this, if this isn't getting too weird and too far afield for your audience, right? What, what I think is going on here to jump cut to the taste, what is the, why feedback loops? Why have conspiracy to, to push the feedback loops along and grease the wheels and keep it spinning? That's to do with cybernetics, right? And this is the precursor to MK Ultra. And cybernetic theory was this idea, you know, the human essentially a computer. And if you want mind control, you, you view the human like a computer. And this is a little crude, but one of the, the basic, I mean, it's right there, like, you know, the Wikipedia article on cybernetics, like in the first sentence, if not second or first or second sentence it's about feedback loops and algorithms right and you you have an input there's an output you change the input to change, and that's how you control the system through feedback loops so um that's what i think is going on with a feedback loop like the Joker. there's many many other ones we're seeing it look at the predictive programming stuff with the ohio spill and uh and so on but um to i mean i think that introduces it i don't want to give the spill all the beans here but yeah i think the feedback loops are about mass mind control and manipulation yeah yeah, you 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 are hitting the nail on the head with that one. Uh, that is absolutely what is what is going on, you know. And even before Joker came out, there were news stories running upon, like run, uh, you know, approaching the release of the movie. And the story was: Is this going to inspire violence? Because the most the the previous Batman installment, which was The Dark Knight Rises. We saw that that uh, that incident with James Holmes, uh, and he was dressed as the Joker. Uh, allegedly, was a lone gunman in the movie theater. For anyone that doesn't know uh, or doesn't remember, but that was something that people that that the media was trying to raise awareness of. I remember that, and uh, and being like, "That's a you know," thinking to myself, "That's a load of bullshit." They're trying to. They're trying to see if they can put that idea into somebody's head to go and do this, you know, and they, this is what kind of set me on the path of wondering just what is the intention of the fascin or what, what is the inspiration of this fascination of this Joker character 
And I have many friends who through, well, maybe not many is not the right word. I have a few friends who have in the past been very obsessed with the Joker, quoting the Joker, thinking that he's the coolest. And then, you know, even when that movie Suicide Squad came out, uh, the, all of the, all of the, the females that were obsessed with Harley Quinn and wanted to dress up like him and the memes you would see on the internet about, about how like Harley Quinn, Oh, I got to find me a man like, like Harley Quinn's got the Joker. It's like, well, no, you 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 want an abusive, <laughs> you want to be abused. Is that what you want? Do you want to develop dissociative identity disorder? Like, do, what do you want? You know, like dependent, dependent personality disorder. What are you trying to, what, what are you saying? You don't even know what you're saying. And it just always struck me as very odd, the fascination around this psychopath. And of course, like many others, you don't get many good representations of the Joker character on the big screen. You know, you got the, the cartoons that came out through the last few decades. And then what, before that, it was Jack Nicholson in our lifetimes. It was Jack Nicholson. And then Heath Ledger was the big, big one for guys like, you know, around our ages, I'm not sure how old you guys are, but I don't imagine you were very, very old when Jack Nicholson played the Joker. I know I wasn't, I probably wasn't even born yet. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I'm 40. I oh, saw did? it as a kid in the theater or no, I saw it on, on VHS. I don't know if I saw it in the theater. I saw the second, the second one, everywhere, the second Batman. I shouldn't have seen that one in the theater. I'm <laughs> too young for that, but I saw that in the theater. Well, good, good. I mean, good. You have that memory as a, as a kid when it was new. Uh, but yeah, I saw I I saw it on VHS when I was a kid too. I just wasn't around when it first came out. Um, I was born the same year as its release. But uh, yeah. But in any case, like I have seen this this development of this fascination about the, about the Joker, and it's just like okay. And even as an anarchist myself, um, it, it, I, the the association of anarchy and the Joker has been made in the past. And it's always kind of troubled me because that's really not what real anarchy is. And, uh, this whole burn it down mentality. And then you see the rise of like, um, Antifa and the rise of like, um, let's say, uh, what, what was it? Occupy wall street. And then that was like right after, uh, Christopher Nolan's dark Knight came out and then, Occupy Wall Street starts, and then you see the Dark Knight rises, and that's all about the class warfare that was built from uh, during the Christopher Nolan series of of Batman, which is like this, you know, class warfare type of theme, heavily embedded in those in that trilogy, and even more heavily heavily developed over the course of the last two movies of his trilogy. The first one was more psychological, in my opinion, and the last two were more like psychopaths and class warfare especially dark knight rises and then when the dark knight of course when the dark knight rises comes in that that incident out in aurora uh and then like then fast forward uh seven years to todd phillips joker movie coming out and but i remember before uh, back to my original point i remember before the movie was released that there were stories coming out about well the, could this movie inspire violence and it was like why are you even saying it why like why even just just roll the film <laughs> you know like it's it's always been odd to me and then i saw the movie and people started painting their faces like joaquin phoenix and the the heath ledger paint went away and the joaquin phoenix paint came in and they, it's just like oh my god you people are just falling for it 
it's like to me it always just seemed like this is kind of it's kind of lame behavior <laughs> but i just never really put it together until like a couple of years ago and i've been just thinking about it and what made me think about this was like what really made what really made me think about it was watching Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie and realizing that he's writing with one hand, puts it down, puts the pen down, takes a drag of his cigarette, and then picks the pen back up with the opposite hand, and then continues writing. And to me, that was the the DID, the Dissociative Identity Disorder, where he is literally like a fractured person and when he's got something in his right hand, he's acting as Arthur. And when he's got something in his left hand, he's acting as Joker. And there's two, there's two psyches in one body. And we, you see it time and time again throughout the movie. And it's interesting that he, I think he's using a 38 special as well. That's something that I've just been kind of mulling around. I'm pretty sure that that revolver is a 38 special. I could be wrong about that, but that's a pretty important gun. It's been used in many different incidents uh throughout history and assassination attempts and whatnot it's been a pretty popular revolver throughout history anyways that was what sparked this entire uh adventure of mine kind of looking into the joker todd phillips joker movie and how it's to me seems to be um predictive programming trying to get people to be psychopaths and to to uh, kind of identify with a psychopath and people that have already been propped up as being mentally ill, having their own hero. So it's not even about inspiring people to become psychopaths. It's the ones that have already been made through the system of, say, the the DSM five, the DSM four, which is largely what our generations have been exposed to, the school systems. All of this stuff that has been programming people through the through the last few decades, and that uh, and honestly, more than more than not, it's a whole load of bullshit. But to but to me, this seems like the crescendo of what Hollywood's been trying to do with the psychopath programming. And yeah, I mean, think about it. You can see what many of the mental in quotes mental disorders right or mental diseases that are that are very very common in modern society run run them up against the this joker movie and more than not you can see different instances throughout the movie where joaquin phoenix is portraying different mental disorders so this is what i mean by when i say that they are trying to give the people that they have already created, have already made into psychopaths their own hero. And then what do they, what do people like to do? They like to imitate the heroes that they see on television. And <laughs> 2019, the movie came out. 2020, we see the summer of love. You know, that dude, George Floyd got, got, uh, <laughs> He got killed by the cops, and then next thing you know, there's cities all over the place, and at least the United States and even abroad, there there are cities that are experiencing riots and uh, real political upheaval because of obviously the this this fucking scamdemic that was going on. And, but we in the United States, Minneapolis was pretty like they torched that police station, which I can I can get behind. 
but uh, <laughs> they also destroyed their own neighborhoods too. Now, 2019, when the Joker came out, it was one of the biggest movies that was out at the time. How many people saw that and said, this is what you do in a situation where it's like, you know, when, it, when it's like riots and stuff like that, the programming goes in, it's already in there. So they think that it's like, oh, this is just what we do. And it's like, they don't, people don't realize that that's not their mind. The mind has been given to them through the, through the movies and everything. But this movie in particular is, is huge, huge for that. So I, I, uh, I see that there are, um, I, I just, I just know people in my own personal life who think that the Joker is just so cool. And it's like, mm, I don't know. I, I, I push back on it. What do you guys think about that? How, how, how do you, that is uh, what I said resonate with you. It resonates a lot. And I think it's, very good to push back on that because um, the idea of just how cool of an anti-hero or you know villain is character different iterations of the joker can be and how many people uh you relate to him especially thinking about just how influential the heath ledger portrayal uh of the joker was in, in the dark knight just how iconic this 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 villain became just because something that we talk about as i have cinema a lot is the idea of uh, of low intensity mk ultra uh, just kind of this universal trauma, like uh, this uh, low-grade traumatizing effect that so much of the Hollywood make psyop is designed to have in the public. Now, with some of the things that um, that that Brett was talking about earlier, and that you had referenced some some of the predictive programming stuff, some of the feedback loop stuff with all these assassinations and things that we see all these um, all these weird details related to this kind of lineage within fiction that that has the Joker at the center of it. So there, we see a lot of hints of. Uh, high intensity MK Ultra, like the very particular individuals who are being tampered with for particular purposes and creating these uh, these public spectacles in terms of these events. But then there's also, and this shouldn't be, I don't think dismissed lightly, the, uh, there's a real traumatizing effect to having something as satanic as the Heath Ledger performance, the excellent performance um, as, as the Joker to be that culturally ingrained, that many people going, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. This is literally me. I want to be just like that. This absolute force of uh, anarchy in the worst sense, you know, the, this ontological chaos, this uh, attempt to thwart human goodness at every turn, just um, who's obviously, obviously the, the ledger joker um, is um, a more compelling character in a lot of ways than the Christian Bale Batman character. So a lot of people are coming away from that, you know, just like, uh, like really thinking that, okay, we get the ending and, and, oh, and also the fact that with the end of the dark Knight, that the only way that the movie kind of props up Batman at the end is because, you know, we have the Joker, this master manipulator character that, that, that um, Nolan is obsessed with and comes up in so many of his films. And then, uh, then the cool thing Batman does at the end is to participate in the noble lie to, uh, to, to engage in this mass deception of the public for the greater good. And so uh, still the Joker is still cooler, but the hero is kind of cool because, cool because he's engaging in mass scale deception as well. But I think that really just like with, not just with the Joker, but with all kinds of other villains and anti-heroes uh, that Hollywood props up, um, to to uh, to be cool to a especially for young men who are who are cinephiles and stuff like that. They're the ones who are going to be saying, "Oh my gosh, the Joker is literally me. Tyler Durden is literally me. Alex from A Clockwork Orange is literally me." And the Alex example is interesting because Brett wasn't Arthur Bremer, uh, partially inspired by uh, by uh, by uh, by Alex uh, as well. I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, right. And in his journal, uh, supposed journal, I believe, or at least in something that's been published, he, he writes that, uh, yeah, he was, he felt, uh, I mean, basically was egged on by the movie and felt a direct identification and then wrote, um, you know, right. more or whatever. Yeah. Kill, so kill, he, kill under it. He's yeah, egged he on by the movie. movie and right. Right. Um, and, uh, and then of course, uh, both, I think Nolan and Ledger talked about Alex, um, in, uh, from Clockwork Orange being a big inspiration for that iteration of the Joker in the dark night. So you have, um, so you have just decades and decades of people seeing these horrific acts of violence and then that just being, or, or, or of psychological violence of, of just this real, real darkness. And then just people taking that, all these other uh, uh, earlier uh, foundations for human and, you know, stability individually and on a civilizational level, you have Hollywood and corrosive forms of art coming in and displacing all this other stuff. And this is why I think um, the Joker is such is um, such a centerpiece to so much of this, because it's there's something a little bit maddening uh, about film as an art form in general. Just our, our art is art can be very redemptive of course and imagination it can be beautiful and life-giving but of course it can be very dangerous it's so powerful but then with with, with movies with filmmaking with hollywood of art form you have kind of a natural breakdown of um of our ability to mark the boundaries between fiction and reality just because the films are so dreamlike and there's a there's a can be a natural tendency to think oh the stuff on the screen like i'm I'm dreaming this. This is my creation, or the the actors and characters we see so much. Uh, then we uh, that they enter our lives in ways that we often don't even thinking about. So this blurring of director, actor, character, viewer all happens, and so there's a, the feedback loop extends to some of this. You can say this is the the tech technology itself is dangerous and maybe driving the me and sometimes we can point to individual human actors and groups who are furthering the technology to make it worse and there's kind of a demonic feedback loop there but with a character like the joker who fetishizes insanity dissociation blurring of boundaries uh, you, you mentioned the trickster archetype before we came on and that there's something trickster like about the medium of film uh, in general, uh, just generically speaking, and that can be leveraged towards, I think, some very, very dark ends. And so uh, you, this kind of demonic clown as this assault, I think, on human sanity, human stability, like I said, on an individual civilizational level, I the Joker is just really, really explicitly getting out some of the dynamics, both of the medium of film and the culture of Hollywood, and then of these particular psyops related to crime and espionage and the occult and all these things are kind of happening par in parallel with Hollywood continuing to poison mass culture. Yeah, and echoing, I, if I could, I, I want to come back around to the blurring of, of boundaries and the, the archetype of the trickster and the relationship there and the Joker, but to back up just a second how he got there, the, the making the Joker cool, making the Joker, you know, edgy, right? So this is a, an instantiation. This is an example of, you know, what we call in the show red pill programming. Okay. And red pill programming is really just reverse psychology, just used in, in sophisticated ways. Right. So the, everybody knows the red pill from, from the matrix. Um, but if you investigate kind of where this term comes from you know the, the idea in there is you're taking the red pill you get to see reality and how things really are you can take the blue pill and you can go back to sleep well in um total recall which is what 90 right so 1990 i mean there's a use of the red pill in total recall where 
the um, uh, the main character, the Schwarzenegger character, he doesn't know whether he's in a dream or reality, and he's being offered this red pill to come out and see what it really is. But he actually doesn't know if you if the circumstance there is the red pill could also be a trap. It could be a trick, which the Matrix doesn't give you this notion that maybe. I mean, maybe Neo's being psyop by Morpheus, right? In other words, um, but but it's there, and and but even before that, right before that, in fact, there's another. I discovered another use of this term, which, when you understand our analysis of it, is is identical, and it's the interview that uh, Charles Manson did with Geraldo Rivera in 1990. It was a televised interview. It was a big interview, and Geraldo asks him at one point, you know, Charlie, why are there all these murders in in the world? And I'll I'll like spare you the Manson impersonation, but basically, Manson says you know, you're putting it up on TV, you're modeling it for people. And he goes, you know, they didn't know what the red pill was till you told them not to take it. So, and, and <laughs> let's not go over the Charles Manson process searching, but Manson knew what he was talking about, right? Because he came out of the same Psy War labs that the sexual revolution was developing. So Hollywood pushed the sexual revolution through red pill programming. It's pushed a lot of things through, we call drugs, it's pushed through red pill programming. I mean, I've talked a lot about the D.A.R.E. program and the D.A.R.E. program is a great example of red pill programming. Um, and even the dynamics, if you look up why the studies, you know, all these Stanford and Harvard studies showed how it was increasing drug use among people in the program, it, the dynamics are understood. It was increasing a kind of a curiosity, an edgy curiosity um, around it. So the same thing's going on. There's psyops going on around the figure of the Joker. By the way, if we don't get any other chance to mention, I want to insert it here. People should watch this uh, video that was put out by the fourth psyops uh, group out of Fort Bragg called All the World's a Stage. Have you seen this one? I mean, we should almost run it, right? It's using the same, the archetype of the clown, right? To Oh, God, it, it's creepy. So this is actually put out as a who knows what it means, right? A recruiting ad, it's put out by this fourth cyber, very sophisticated, showing kind of the clown dancing through everything. And 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 so then so there we have the sort of deep Say it again. What's the um, name of the video again? The video, I think it's called All the World's a Stage here. I have it up so I can give you some info. Uh, go oh, it's called here it is. It's called Ghosts in the Machine, Fourth Psyop Group. Um, 1.2 million views. It's on it's on YouTube. It's the only thing they've ever put up, by the way. It's the only thing on their channel, the Fourth Psyops Group channel. And yes, this is really a this is actually a military formation of Fort Bragg. You can um, you can look it up. So um, so yes, red pill programming, making it look cool, like making it look edgy, increasing identification. I want to say that the target. Okay, I think we're being a little too. You want to watch for the? You want to watch it for the audience? We can we can watch it. Um. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that, and then let's talk about the incel sort of angle of it. You want to do? Okay. You want to play the video, Thomas? I mean, we can always cut it out. We don't have to. Uh, we can always part. cut it out. I mean, I don't. Okay. Yeah, 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 James. I think it's. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Wolves hiding nearby, whispering, do or die. 
another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target, not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. The ammunition used by Cywar. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers and at the same time is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. Gripping at my skin The walls of night closing oh, But the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new forms. are the Psy-War soldiers. So, there you have it. Oh, I can't oh, hear you. Else. Yeah. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah, I, I had muted myself. <clears throat> so I trust you caught the uh, clown and the mirror. It looks like right out of the opening shot of Joker, the rest of the clown stuff. I mean, you get the, they're bragging that they did the overthrows in Ukraine and the rest of it. I mean, there's bra they're just bragging right in front of you. It's revelation of the method, right? That is psychological warfare. Right? Yeah. I mean, that is a piece of psychological warfare. It's not a recruiting video. It is, but so is Hollywood. So is all this other stuff that glamorizes intelligence culture in Hollywood. It's all part of a psyop. And here is just a bit of revelation of the method from the people that I suspect run a lot of this um, stuff, uh, at least for DOD. Um, but um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, um, but I, the incel uh, thing. So yeah, there's we've talked to yeah. So there's a there's a general low intensity trauma based mind control that's going on. People are being assaulted with sex and violence and degeneracy and the rest of it. And they've they've demoralized us over a long period of time in order to do the same thing on a mass scale that they do. They did an MK Ultra on a, on a small scale, but specifically this particular psyop, the Joker psyop, we call it the Joker cycle. It's directed at what's now called the incel. 
but that's really an archety- cultural archetype that it's not it's, it's distinctly American, I, I think you could almost argue, but it has its modern roots in uh, Holden Caulfield. It has its modern roots in The Catcher in the Rye, hence the connection of The Catcher in the Rye to cases like Hankley Jr. and Mark David Chapman and the belief that The Catcher in the Rye was used in neurolinguistic programming. After all, its author, J.D. Salinger, was a psychological operations <laughs> officer in, in World War when he was writing the novel. Um, so that's, that's part of where that idea comes from. But we could talk about the evolution of this character, but it, now it is the incel. And that's why the Joker movie specifically is supposed to trigger incels. And that's why like the recent Batman movie is all about the conspiracy. Now it's the conspiracy theorist too. And that part of the joke, that part of the cycle comes in with like the movie conspiracy theory where the conspiracy theorist all of a sudden is now the dangerous one. He's going to be the guy you got to look out for. Okay. So they've added that to the archetype. It's, it's kind of a patchwork in some, in some ways there's some extraneous elements of it and it doesn't always follow, but it's all about this weird, isolated, loner, lone nut uh, character who is his psychology is such that, we can explain why he would do things when there's no motive to do it. And we can blame these, these crimes on him. Um, yeah. The incel, the, the incel aspect of it is very important because it's like, and very obvious to, it was obvious to me, um, the way that he fantasizes about the woman down the hall to the degree in which he does. And the whole entire thing was a giant red flag to me when he just marches up to the door and, and just takes her. So yeah, if I could just say, make a point. Yeah. So that one of the trends is increasing dissociation. So if you look at Travis Bickle, or if you look at Rupert Pupkin, they are dissociating. They are losing touch with, with reality, but you could say that there's right. Like in um, King of Comedy, he's going, he has these daydreams, right? He can tell the difference between reality and but he's just kind of doesn't care anymore. It's, it's, it's not like, he's not completely lost it. Right. But, but Arthur, but he's really lost it. Right. He's completely psychotic. And, you know, our friend Jeff Schulenberger, who been like, I, I use this uh, uh, this more academic way of putting it was, uh, you know, the preferred mode of the subject in our culture. Yes, they're spreading crazy. So that's part of the red pill programming, popularizing psychosis. They're spreading crazy. They're spreading insanity. And then Harley Quinn, that's the female equivalent to it. So women are crazy, too. And men can be crazy. We can all be crazy. And that's the preferred mode of the subject. That and being psychopathic and being autistic. Those are the three modes of the subject now. And that's, yeah. Yeah, too true, too true. Yeah, and that's what the the uh, the sequel, upcoming sequel uh, to Joker, is featuring Harley Quinn, and it's going to be. I I I don't know if it matters, but I think it does. Uh, Lady Gaga is playing Harley Quinn, opposite of of Joaquin Phoenix, and the general like the the umbrella that the Joker fits under Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. The umbrella is that it is an attack on masculinity. Now we're going to see this. They're going to bring the, the feminine aspect into it as well. And it's going to be attractive. The psychopathy will be attractive to the female. And it's not only just your, you know, your, your, physical generated female biological body type person that's going to be attracted to that it's the sacred feminine it's the sacred masculine the aspects the principles of 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 self-defense the principles of of uh, non-aggression or non-violence and they're attacking that and they're making that uh something (laughs) man they're 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 coming after that as well and these are your sacred masculine and sacred feminine principles of of the pillars of enlightenment 
that that we're that, that I'm talking about here. And um, yeah, I mean, a very good point, Brad, about the, the about the incel aspect of it all because it is a growing, it is rapidly growing, a very rapidly growing theme in in the culture the, these days. Uh, you wouldn't even know what an involuntary celibate person you you'd be like, what gibberish are you speaking to me? If it were fifteen years ago, that term didn't exist, as far as I know. Maybe it did. I didn't hear about it, but I, it's something that has come across, you know, oh, and I'm the one that decides when things got created. Right. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding around. But I mean, I'm, I've never heard that term before. I think maybe a decade ago. And now all of a sudden you hear it everywhere and it's, it's a growing, it's, it's a very growing, uh, growing rapidly trend among men. And it's mostly men. If you notice. Um, yeah. Really and even too- just looking, yeah, you look at the way the term has um has uh, has changed in its usage over the past several years, where it's now it's it's moved beyond even just talking about this this trend of people self-identifying as incels and talking about these alienated young men who are having struggles not just in terms of their 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 love life, but usually accompanied by different cultural and financial alienations as well. It was a very particular um, subculture online. And now most of the time that I see the term thrown around is mostly just as a term of abuse for a uh, man that has a uh, man who is online, who has the incorrect disposition towards cultural trends. Uh, you know, you say this, this, or that, that's the wrong perspective on different, um, on usually socially progressive trends or ideologies. Oh, you're an incel. That's the worst thing that they can say about a person, meaning you have been rejected by the kind of amazing goddess cult, sacred feminine presence within that I think is a huge part of the super psyop that we're seeing. And a kind of a preoccupation of mine that I talk about on the show a lot is that um, is that the whole the whole Joker thing, the incel, the psychopath, this whole uh, degradation of the masculine is really just a stepping stone towards, I think, what it looks more like an endgame towards the uh, of the ideology that we see coming through Hollywood, which a very good term that I see on Twitter sometimes for what we have coming is um, dark mother cyborg theocracy. Um, and uh, it is kind of, I, I think basically we are dealing with a goddess cult, the dark goddess cult that uh, we talk, we've talked about kind of the blurring of boundaries and often whether it's people who are into the whole Gaia worship thing, you know, mother goddess, that's, oh, we break down the boundaries between humans and other species, between other species and plants, between any, the whole idea of ecology is melding everything together. Of course, there's the idea of technology basically accomplishing the same thing. Think about, you know, Donna Haraway, cyborg feminism, and lots of other thinkers who are even crazier than her, but the idea of a liberation from structure, from patriarchy, from all these things through either nature or technology or some combination, just breaking down everything, melding everything together. And I think so with stuff like you mentioned Marina Abramovich disciple Lady Gaga, you know, playing Harley Quinn. So they there it's you even see this with the you know this um walking phoenix joker it's such a it's such a masculine portrayal it's so related to this very uh this very masculine uh you know cultural stream that we see going back through all these other anti-heroes and stuff like that but then we see it coming out the other side to gonna be propping up lady gaga and all of this i'm sure hints of uh the kind of deranged sacred feminine and all of that and where the incel thing is very very important is because it's all about alienated masculinity right? So it's kind of an intensification of some of these other trends we were talking about. Just thinking about the idea of even um, uh, even the idea of the archetypal hero uh, moving in Western civilization from something like the 
knight, you know, the defender of sacred order, like a sturdy, stable, coherent concepts that he is defending or a servant of, to something like the spy in the early 20th century, if James Bond is the new knight, things like that. Then all of a sudden it's duplicity, it's trickery, it's liminality, it's all these things, these things that we later see very fleshed out and kind of demonic clown. Joker stuff. And like with all the here, like psychopaths we're talking about, we see, I, in the, there's a lot of different ways we can zoom into different sectors. I think decades long super style, but it's an increasing intensification of the alienation of the masculine, just destroying the heroic archetype from the inside out. Just basically, I think, as a way to all these different kinds of nature worshiping and technology worshiping vectors of, I think, dark goddess material that we're seeing becoming more and more explicit in culture. The, the, you you raise an interesting point about the degradation of of the of the masculine there about and we see it in the movie as well as that this guy being the anti-hero through the movie and it's clear as day that there are hints of narcissism his mother's clear clearly a narcissist and most narcissism is passed down from parent to child and then the child obviously grows older and be, full-fledged narcissism this guy's got a lot going on he's not just a narcissist but we know that that attention matters to him he wants to be seen he wants to be important and these are things that he's never felt have been accomplished for himself before in his entire life and by the end of the movie but in the beginning of the movie he's getting beat up and kicked in the face and and he's you know left for whatever in the in the gutter laying in the fetal position as a, like a baby like think about it. It's like even a ref there's a there's certain reflections of the span of a lifetime in the movie itself, with the way the cinematography captures the certain body language of the character himself, and he's in the fetal position in the beginning of the movie, totally unable to do anything for himself. And by the end of the movie, he's standing on top of a cop car with an entire crowd around him, and they all dress like him. They're worshiping him. He's their god. He's their he's their leader. And he finally feels like, yay, I've done something. And then, you know, I mean, the, the very end scene, that's not the very end scene, but that's how his his character, the arc in the movie, the, that's the span of his of his character development in the movie. Um, and so, yeah, that's something that just came to mind. Um, have you guys, have you guys been able to uh, catch like the, wow, I just lost the thought because... Well but go ahead, Brett. You well, if you if you remember, it, yeah, go ahead. Just, I was just, I can speak to this the scene that you're talking about here. So one of the things that is uh, you know almost ubiquitous in a lot of the cultural, a lot of the mind control heavy theme films that we we cover is is religious inversion, right? Is yeah. you know typically inversion of of Christianity and and, and Christian themes, and so. Um, what you have here, right, is it's a, it's a resurrection of death. It's a resurrection of, of the devil. And we can go through sort of tracing the, the trickster clown archetype to to the devil. And then, in, you know, like in the Heath Ledger, um, they, they just play on that explicitly, right, with the devil cards and calling the devil and so on. There's there's endless, right? And, you know, having even the dogs, right, Cerberus, and he's the king of hell. And so, and, and in general, that's a more kind of like openly archetypal movie and a more openly it's really an archetypal exploration of the, the character in the dark knight and nolan like here we have this humanization of him so this is part of a cycle too so the joker in visual media right because there's a limited number of portrayals in visual media so it's worth kind of tracking that in itself so it starts with like a cesar romero 
who was this was the kind of comic relief bad guy who who came in not not too not too threatening doesn't even weird people out too much he's pretty funny and you know Romero didn't take the role seriously enough to even shave his mustache so you know and then that was part of why the Nicholson Joker was so shocking um, to people and why it was like a dirty trick it was like a joke that had been played it was just like a uh, a black op that was played, you know, on, on the audience. And so um, he kind of became human with, with Nicholson. He became realistic to audiences at the time. There was a real Gothic kind of realism, at, you know, uh, to, to that kind of treatment of comic books, at least to audiences at the time. And, and then, but with Ledger, he becomes sort of divinized, uh, right? It becomes sort of, he's the, what I call the dark self, you know, to use Jungian terminology, um, mm. he is the, and this is a, this is, again, this is an archive for because when you're dealing with a religious inversion, you're going to run into the sort of devil as God, devil pretending to be God, dark self, and it's all over the comic book stuff. But I mean, one of the best versions of it is, you know, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, in uh, Scorsese's Cape Fear. But anyway, so then you have the divinization. Now we're back decisively in the rehumanization. Um, and this is all part of, this is alchemy they're doing too, right? This is dissolve and coagulate, divinize and humanize. They're, they're recycling it and they're moving. And in each cycle, they're moving towards something else. So you, we've hit on it, right? Infant, total infantilization, right? So we've, got to, we've gotten to this point of total infantilization. You know, I think that's good. That, that's, but anyway, back to the, the religious thing. So he is the devil being resurrected. So we have an inversion of the resurrection at the end. Okay, and it's the mob of, of clowns that's resurrected. And he's deaf, remember, because when he puts the white face on, if you remember that at the end, right before he does the killing of mm -hmm. the, the big guy uh, that he worked with, um, he, he makes himself into, into death. Um, and, and he calls himself the, another confirmation of this in, in the movie, how they're playing with the archetype in that movie. You know, they use the um, Jackson C. Frank song, Carnival, I Am Carnival. And he says, I identifies with the song, I Am Carnival. Well, if you read like James George Frazier, who does one of the first, um, you know, early Western anthropological analyses of the archetype, um, he, he, the carnival was a figure of death. In, in the um, <clears throat> in the pagan rites of spring and folk in folk culture in Europe, and there was a figure of death called the carnival that would be chased out, you know. And if you look at like the like uh, the first Mardi Gras, which is carnival, the first Mardi Gras in America was in Mobile. And if you look at it, there's a float called the Order of Myths, which was from the first secret society order that that created Mardi Gras, and it's a um, it's a clown figure, something with a whip, like chasing out the figure, chasing out death. Um, so it's a resurrection of death, you know, Satan is the power of death, um, evil is death. Um, and this is a resurrection of death. This is the, the bring back death, because that's the power of the devil is, is the power of, of death. And it's the mob, right, that is resurrecting and they want him. But who, the question is who controls the mob and who controls the mob is who controls the clown. And the fourth PSYOP group you just saw is telling you that they control this, right? Wow. Well, I knew there was something there with with their with them pointing out that his name was Carnival. I, I couldn't find it, but thank you for bridging that gap for me. That I really appreciate that. I I just couldn't find it myself. Well, and all the musical cues are important, right? Everybody plays the Everyone. fool because in here the fool is, and even they they do this trope with the word clown or joker, like the everyman. Everybody's a clown. You're the clown now. And they're pulling the strings, right? And we're all mass MK Ultra now, and we're all this this character now. Um, and we're going to get our revolution because the revolution is the establishment, as um, 
who just who just wrote that in an article? Who's that guy who's always on Tucker Carlson from uh, Stan, this, the Hoover Institute guy? But that was a good argument. The, the establishment is the revolution or the revolution is the establishment. Yeah, whole thing is like the sexual revolution, your rock and roll, you're all of it. It's just like they're telling you in Under the Silver Lake. And they like showing you now and rubbing it in your face. And Joker is not an anti-establishment um, movie. No, not at all. No, not at all. It, it's They want, the, like, it's like they... They want there to be a new establishment, and that establishment is chaos. Right. Really, it's um, just enough cultural order to incept as much chaos as possible, just the absolute worst of both worlds. That's why having these cultural institutions like Hollywood and other and, um, and, and, and other vectors of mass delusion, just working hard to pump out as much breakdown of foundations of uh, whether it's uh, religion or nation or individual self, uh, the, the, the irony is often missed that they, they need some kind of infrastructure, some kind of, they, some kind of lack of total, some kind of vector of control in order to a revolution uh, just to kind of bulldoze existing structures. And I think you were hinting that, that earlier when you were talking about the, uh, you know, the summer of love that, that, you know, that comes around in 2020, you know, after this movie, uh, after this movie comes out and it's, um, it's it's interesting thinking about the relationship between the politics of Joker to the politics of Robert Pattinson Batman movie, which Brent covered on the on Psyop Cinema, and uh, we and uh, really really hate the movie, but it's very very in a certain way because you have the the pseudo revolution uh, movie basically trying to uh, in Joker you know basically the burn it all down. Uh, ontological association, you know, burn down the family, burn down the city, all of these things. And there's some hints of cautionary tale, but mostly it's glamorized and glorified. And then, um, and then, then with uh, the Batman, there is a scene where they have the uh, another version of the Joker in that one with uh, the name of the actors escaping me. But that one seems really, really, truly awful. But the, the Paul Dano uh, Riddler character was kind of playing the trickster Joker figure in that movie. And um, and Brett was talking about uh, earlier, uh, just a little bit earlier, Brett was mentioning about, oh, it's the conspiracy theorists who are the villains, a threat to society as portrayed in that movie. And you can stretch that earlier to back to other films like uh, Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson and a bunch of other stuff before and in between. But really the, the political messaging of the Batman is so it's so comically heavy hand where there's the the one character who's running for mayor and the actress uh, has said oh yeah my character is just supposed to be AOC just like straight up like her campaign posters in the movie are modeled after AOCs and she it's not Batman that's portrayed as the genuine hero of that movie Batman is terrible at his job he needs to realize how bad he is and realize that he should put all his resources to saving the real hero, the AOC, the literal AOC stand-in, who uh, in some kind of paranoid January 6th fantasy, you have literally online conspiracy theorist incels who follow the Riddler trying to kill AOC and Batman has to save her and basically like, all right, this is my job as a superhero. I have to save AOC from some weird mixed metaphor with global warming and the city's flooding and January 6th and all of that. So you have, um, like you were talking about with the 2019 Todd Phillips Walking Phoenix Joker movie, the, the media salivating over the, oh, I hope there's an incel shooting. Come on, somebody do this. And of course, that doesn't actually happen, but it doesn't matter because he's still, because um, the, 
the, the archetype is destructive on both sides. It's really destructive when you have all these people identifying with it. And like we were saying, kind of the increasing of male and masculine from earlier heroic archetypes and people who I get why they identify with these characters. These characters are very compelling. And these movies are often speaking to real social crises and in a very manipulative way, but it's, it's very destructive to glorify uh, these, these alienated um, psychopathic anti-hero characters. But then on other side, the extreme vitriolic vilification, malevolence, uh, they're both probably just as destructive in the long term, but I'm for this, where, um, where basically, yeah, the like I said, in movies like The Batman, it's the idea like, okay, now that we've shown you the social chaos that we want, which is burn down a city whenever we say it's a good idea for whatever reason, and I have my own, you know, woke politics beyond just the normal culture war issues is important as its own kind of vector of like a, of, um, of low intensity traumatizing mind control um, and, and things along those lines. I've, I've analyzed movies and uh, some music videos and stuff like that in Psy Cinema, that kind of that's the burn everything down. And then in terms of the new order that they want, it's basically saying like, hey, the, with a shiny, progressive, happy face, the, the AOC or AOC stand-in, uh, that's that. That's ultimate good, and ultimate bad is Riddler and his incel conspiracy theorists. So it's um very very clear pattern. More dissolve and coagulate stuff between Joker and the Batman. But I think it's very obvious going on there. Yeah, that and the um the it's obvious to, it's obvious to me that you know these superhero movies, the heroes, the the caped the caped heroes or whatever, they're always working with the government. They're always working with like the CIA or some three letter organization trying to save a politician so that the politicians can do the thing or whatever. And then you get something like the Joker who's like taking matters into his own hands, but you can't, you can't go and you can't go and stand up for yourself. I mean, as much as I may disagree with some of the things that these characters like the Joker actually do in the movies and stuff like that, I, I would never dream of doing some of the same things that they've done in the, in the movies, but the old, like another overall type of, type of theme is that here's a person who is tired of relying on others and they're just going to take matters into their own hands i mean that's kind of heath ledger's depiction of the joker is like i'm just going to go and do it my way because no one else is going to do it no one else is going to get these things done so i somebody's got to go and get, get it done and you know crash the whole system because it's broken but i just i don't know but like you see the 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 the, the true heroes working with the government and then you see the anti-heroes or the villains or and this is something i wanted to say i'm glad you brought up the matrix earlier because it's like the merovingian and how he's always uh how during the, the second matrix movie the merovingian is basically speaking the truth he's the he's the bad guy and that the, they do it throughout all of these movies where the truth is coming out of the villain's mouth and the and so you see again with um with Heath Ledger's Joker some of the things that he's saying are are true you know where it's like and even with Joaquin Phoenix you know the things that he's saying at the end right before he kills Murray he's talking about moral relativism and how and how you know it's just like comedy you know co oh the comedy you people decide what's funny and what's not funny just like how you decide what's right and wrong, you know, and, and it's just like, okay, he's, he's shouting at the world. You're a bunch of moral relativists. What the fuck? And this is what happens. This is what you get. You get what you fucking deserve. And he's turned himself into an agent of karma 
Like he's the, he's the one that's come to the door. He's the one that's knocking on the door saying time to pay that karmic debt motherfucker. And he's ready to do what he's got to do to get what what's owed. And that, that Murray gets what he deserves because he's a, he's being a P, POS and that everyone else that, that treated him like shit got what they deserved. His mother, Murray, everyone, the guy from work who caused all the chaos from the beginning, the guys on the train that beat him up, just like the guys at the beginning of the movie. But this time now he's got the, the balls, he's got the chutzpah to really stand up for himself. He's got a method and that method is a gun and he knows it's a tool for self-defense and that's what those are. And he uses it. He uses it righteously. He's done nothing wrong. He's sitting on the train, minding his own business as they're harassing this woman. And they approach him and they start beating on him. He's done nothing wrong. He's defending himself. And that's another thing that they're doing too. They're painting that person who defends himself on a subway like that, a psychopath. You don't want to do, you don't want to act like him, do you? You don't want to be like Joker. Look at what happened to him. You don't want to defend yourself with a pistol, do you? No, you don't want to do that. You know, and it's like, but again, it's this tug of war of good and bad that we all deal with on a daily basis in our lives when we're, you know, feeling our way through this thing called life, when we're met with all these challenges and all of these decisions that we have to make to be able to use our moral compass appropriately and and to find our way through this muck and mire to come out the other side knowing that we did the right thing. But, and for, but like back to my original point was that like, we hear the truth and we see the truth being depicted more than not in, in film these days through on the part of the villain where the hero, the person who's supposed to be the character who's supposed to be the hero in the movie is heavily relying on outside agencies like government to do the right thing. Put that in quotes. So have you guys, what do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, so what's going on there is a couple of things. Uh, I mean, well, we've already mentioned inversion. I can come back to that, but limited hangout. So, I mean, that's that's the thing that one, if you study film from a deep politics perspective enough, you find it uncanny, like how much, um, uh, basically how many of the, you know, how much of the dirty laundry of the deep state, right, is kind of hanging in, in plain view or hiding in plain view. Or if you will, well, okay, think back to inversion. We're already, okay, so reality and fiction aren't the same things. That's just a movie, though. And so you go try to tell somebody this, and, well, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. Um, so it's like it's just a joke. It's just a dream. That's why things get lodged there probably psychologically, right? Because it can be denied. It can be sworn off. And so it's only fitting, right, that it be put in the mouth of, uh, of a bad guy. That's also kind of an esoteric writing technique, you know, like uh, when Leo Strauss um, analyzes, you know, Plato, you can question his readings, whatever, you know, he thinks it's really important to look at what, you know, Callicles or Thrasymachus or the kind of the bad guy, the opponents of Socrates have to say in the dialogue, because sometimes Plato may be, con- be hiding one of his views, you know, in that. So that's, again, that's esotericism. It's part of uh, hiding stuff. And there's a, there's a programming element of that too, right? Because your unconscious hears it, even though your conscious mind uh, denies it. Um, but um, I, without without going too far into the, to, to the limited hangout side, I, I did want to make a point uh, before you forget the. So did I say this? I don't think I did. The the first people to warn, if I'm not mistaken, the first people to warn the public, the public about um, the Joker movie was like suppose there was a release from the army, like warning its soldiers not to go to theaters or something like that. So 
I mean, I suspect that came out of the, out of the cycle. I, I think that was where it began too. And that came out of, I'm sure, out of the psychological uh, uh, warfare labs. Um, the other thing that I, I, I think is going on here with, uh, with the Joker, I, I really want to talk to your audience about, because I mean, one of our great discoveries, I think, is how, because we're talking about this archetype of the clown and the trickster and how archetypes are being used. But I mean, the mechanics of it, I, I would tell people something like this. It's really important. Well, in cinema in general, but I mean, the comic book stuff in, in particular, it's really important because um, these are basically the gods, right? These are supposed to take the place of divine energies. These are the new gods. I mean, the same thing with, I guess, the alien and in some cases, even the, the AI. But what it is, is that you have a propensity to, to project the contents of your soul and your mind right out onto these type of archetypes that reflect them in some ways. And so people who understand how the mind works at this level, right, they know how to capture attention and energy. Once you've projected it, you can do what Thomas talked about how, you know, the comic book movies are so much about deconstructing the hero archetype and then reconstructing it, right? And, and at the root of this is this, again, same dissolve and coagulate alchemical uh, philosophy that the uh, you know occultic super elites uh, exercise uh, to to manage culture, and that's the same reason why they're they're promoting chaos in in the real meat space uh, world as well, because they want to dissolve the old order um, and coagulate um, you know a, another order, and that's why we get this trickster archetype, which is which is about nothing so much as the dissolution of boundaries and the erasure of boundaries, and um, <clears throat> you know and, and, and total fluidity. So um, I think that's kind of the key to why, you know, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous omen, you know, and it's a, it's a demonic, you know, it's a demonic character. And it's the reason it's associated with, I mean, we just watched the fourth Psyop spy. So it's associated with spycraft. I would say it's now associated with cultural engineering because it's also associated with the theater, right? With acting. So you think of Dionysius and the theater in ancient Greece was actually a ritual to Dionysius. And um, there was an altar of Dionysius there, and or Dionysus, excuse me, sorry, <laughs> I'm um, talking past myself. It, it, the, there was, you know, the the, cor the chorus, you know, it was basically um, acolytes of Dionysus and so on. And so um, you you have the the it, it's all it's been associated with a theater and the symbol of the um, what is it sock and buskin, the the smiling um, mask and the and the frowning mask. But yeah. it's it's the and it's the actor. So the actor par excellence, we're told now, is the method actor, right? The Jack Nicholson, the Heath Ledger, who becomes the character, who themselves uh, lose a sense of reality. And this is why it's become such a coveted role, and why we have you know the the three you know um, arguably top method actors of their generations. Well, not Ledger, but it was a, it was a pretty impressive performance. Um, but these three you know serious method actors, at least two of them being. Uh, so this is why it's such a coveted role because because this is what it means. But it's also it's the hidden hand too. It's the 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 smiley face, the trickster in the background manipulating um, things, and it tells you and winks at you that it's the devil, that it's death. And so when yes, the movie is telling truth. It's saying that society is. <laughs> I mean, it, you know that scene with the the psychiatrist when it's like when she's telling him, you know, they don't care, they don't give a blank about me, they don't give a blunk about you. Like yeah. it's true. Like that's it. Just saying. Oh, it's but it's it's blackpilling people, of course, right? So it's telling truths, but it's telling them in a way that makes it hopeless. And they're they're identifying with a totally infantilized character. It's all hopeless. 
uh, burning down. So yes, they're telling people truths, but they're doing it very demonically to to incend and and telling you to take vengeance and do these things. And this is, I mean, I can't sit here and give a sermon or something, but this is spiritually pernicious, uh, and it's it's really evil to to spread this type of messaging and pretend that like you know. Uh, gangster rap singers. I'm just telling it like it is in my hood or whatever the justification. Now we're getting into another discussion about why there's no social responsibility or any responsibility. The, art, the artist is immune from responsibility. He's immune from explaining what his work means. It's the immunity of the artist here. And that comes from the cult of the artist and the worship of the artist. And, and it goes back to Nietzsche and Dionysus and, and everything. But I'll, Jay, I don't, Thomas must have gotten booted or he may have had to go. But I'm, I'm here, I'm here for up to the, up to the limit. You want me to be here, James? Okay. Yeah. He must've dropped out and it's okay. We'll work on getting him back. Uh, he, all he really would need to do would be to just, you know, click that, that join link again. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that kind of threw me off a little bit too, that, that he dropped out, uh, sure that it's just a tech he, thing. Yeah. He may have had to, he may have had to go a little bit early or, or may have been having some problems, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm well, I would, I, I would hope that he would say something. Um, but it's okay. Yeah, probably so. It looked like he froze up because he was like, he yeah, mid, yeah I, I think he probably froze up. So we probably should try to see if we can send him a link. I don't know how to do it. He should be able to, he should be able to use the same exact one from the email. Um, but um, you were saying. Well, I was talking. About, I was talking about how what we call religious engineering actually is is done, and why archetypes are used, and why the comic book movies, if they're movies anymore, right? it's a, to me, it's a different medium. It's post cinema, but it is. Uh, I mean, it's manifestly religious, you know. So I'm a religious study. I'm a PhD student. I do religious studies, and um, you know, I would tell people that, you know, they're they're not. Part of the reason that they're being manipulated right now spiritual levels they don't recognize spirituality when they see it and yeah this comic book stuff is for sure it's a, a vulgarized and crass spirituality but it, it's not any actually any less powerless uh, uh, yeah i mean not any less powerful for that and so what happens is people project certain energies right in their in their soul um We've talked about things, divine masculine. I, I won't try to necessarily articulate what these archetypes are, but I mean, I think Jung is broadly right. And I think, I mean, what Jung's talking about can be compared even to the platonic forms or the logoi in orthodox uh, theology that the fathers of the, the church um, describe the kind of principles behind behind things. And in our soul, there's like basic principles. And so when you see it on the screen, you project it, you go into a semi-dissociative state. You know, when you watch movies, it's like not quite like a dream, you don't become that dissociated, but you become semi-dissociated, you know, hence low intensity mind control. So you become dissociated, you project your mind, and the people who make the movies are manipulating right, your mind. And you should probably consider whether they're doing it in a way that you think is broadly healthy or or not. And this is, and I, we're, I think we've been talking a lot here and making our case about what we think is going on and how they're manipulating this this uh, spiritual energy people. And it's very dangerous because I think it's in a... It, What's at, the, what's at the root of all this is an attack on the image of God. Okay, we're made in the image of God. You know, and that's our, our body and soul, but our soul is made in the image of God. Okay, and so in taking our God images, and that's what's going on, this resur like inverting the resurrection and inverting, like even when he's, you know, inverting all of this um, Christological uh, material is about an attack on the image of God. And if you want to destroy a person, you destroy their soul. And so to destroy a person's soul, you destroy their God concept, their image of God, how they see God. And that's what a lot of these, um, 
especially through the bad guys, you know, who pretend to be God and, and stuff. And I mean, a lot of ways. Uh, so, and, and that's definitely at work here in, in the Joker and a guy like um, Zack Snyder, we've covered, right. Who's a controversial, but huge, right. One of the biggest comic book um, directors um, Snyder has made it explicit that he's interested in, he doesn't use the word re-engineering, but he says changing, altering, whatever people's um, religious beliefs and values. And he is a religious engineer. I said, well, I say par excellence with qualification. I don't think he's a great director, but he's definitely swinging for the fences in terms of trying to re-engineer people. I mean, just come on. I mean, watch the Superman, Batman, Superman stuff, the constant God, 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 Superman is God, Batman yeah. is man, Lex Luthor's the devil. I mean, this is the game that they're, they're playing, you know? Yeah, didn't they advertise the Justice League movie with the subtitle, like Gods Among Men? And then even if you want to take it out of the DC universe, you can bring it over to the Marvel universe and you can say the, in the first Avengers film, when they're exiting the helicopter, because Thor shows up and gets Loki and then runs off with him. Iron Man goes after him. Then Captain America gears up to jump out of the helicopter. And uh, I mean, who was it? Anyways, somebody turns to Captain America and says, I don't think you want to do that, Cap. These guys are basically gods. And I mean, of course, it's Thor and Loki, Norse mythology, gods from the Norse mythology. Sure. But here we go again with another uh, depiction of the trickster archetype, which is Loki. You know, like the god of mischief, you know, and and it's just this archetype has existed. That's just a point of how long this archetype has existed for even in the ancient mythologies. They recognized this as as a uh, as a core part of a person's psychological makeup. That there's you know, that there's this aspect of that in there. But, yeah, I can see definitely see what uh, some of your point that you're making about re about replacing that. And, you know, Zack Snyder's effort. Um, not very, not a very good one, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I totally recognize that man. Good point. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Thomas, you're back. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that technical difficulty on my end, but good to be back. But yeah, with the justice league stuff, I mean, there was even, I think it was, there was a t-shirt that, um, that Zack Snyder designed uh, related to the release of, of the justice league movie that had just like all these like very very esoteric symbols related to the, the the plot of the justice league movie and like the several sequels he had planned and uh this has been a lot of months now so i'd have to look at lo look it up again but basically it's all this alchemical transformation uh into the new human uh with all the different mythological symbols that snyder that Snyder is mine for that. And I, yeah, I like that reference that of the Avengers movie. And I, I really, really hate the Marvel movies, but, uh, but Captain America's response to, I think black widow, these guys are gods is, is good when he says there's only one God and he doesn't dress like that. I do like that line, but, um, but yeah, you're, you're talking about how it's uh, these, um, these uh, Norse God characters. And when you get to the, when you get to the Thor movie, you know, there's lines there about like, Oh, I come from a place where science and magic are the same, which, that's such a huge trope when we're talking about these anti-human themes coming out of the Hollywood superculture that we're, we're entering into a paradigm where we can trust our, our techno sorcerer overlords more than ever because it's both all the enchantment and meaning of magic, aka essentially the occult, with like all the uh, all the authority and rationality, quote unquote, of science. And it gets really ridiculous like with uh, how hard they push that with the Marvel movies where they have like physics consultants even on like 
the Doctor Strange movies and stuff like that, who are basically, when you actually look at what they said, it's like, oh yeah, multiverse is kind of a concept. It's, so basically just this pop science uh, stuff as like this get out of jail free card um, for these uh, for these people to do any, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the Joseph Campbell quote. So there, you know, you have Campbell is kind of like watered down unionism when we think of the activation of um, you know the dark self and all, and these other union concepts that Brett had mentioned earlier. But yeah, I, I, I but I, I have a bunch of notes, but it's interesting. Uh, but you can see like it's uh, there on the shirt because it ends uh, with with a baby, and like that's um, so significant because that's so much of what the superculture is pushing is infantilization. Um, in uh, in a in a piece of writing that I just did, I think I used the phrase uh, uh, infantilization disguised as divinization by way of technological augmentation. Uh, so disguised like all this all this like occult, superhuman, magic, science together stuff really is all just coming together to create uh, infantilization and and to create the the debasement of the human experience. The whole incel thing we're talking about is one version of that. Um, but then uh, also the, the idea of the divine child comes up over and over again, very sinister forms of modern occultism. Think Aleister Crowley, Aeon of Horus is the Aeon of the child, all of that. You know, think uh, think of the idea of this, this you know, Stanley Kubrick, 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, we're uh, the, the, the godlike futures. We're gonna be big babies and bright bubbles floating in space. You know, they're really, really spelling this out. The idea that these power fantasies that Zack Snyder, um, you know, is is uh, you know, who you guys were just talking about, is really uh, interested in like Sucker Punch is maybe the ultimate Hollywood dissociation movie. Um, yeah, it's it all it is is basically reducing us to states of helplessness. Whether it's these these individual victims of these trauma based mind control programs or just global audiences increasing they're buying into the Hollywood psyop through stuff like franchise filmmaking, Marvel stuff becomes a part of grown, you know, grown adults identities. Like it's all just feeding in into the fame machine, into the dream machine, all that. So I, I yeah, I think the Mar all that to say, I think the, the, the Marvel stuff you're hinting at is a very, very big uh, piece of the puzzle here and relates to what we're talking about with Joker. Yeah, for sure. You use that term grown adult very, very loosely, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I have, uh, I, I have watched many of these movies, you know, being a fan of comic books in my childhood and, and everything because it's exciting and woo, but it's not, you know, it, uh, like you're saying it does, it does become a part of people's identity and it, it's, it's kind of, kind of tragic once you really start thinking about it. yeah we should call out what it is like it is this is assault on human dignity it really is yeah and and i like brett's point about you know these aren't these aren't really films these are like post what do you how did you phrase it it was post uh post cinema post cinema well i mean you know speaking of sir martin scorsese himself who really was involved you well, know with, <laughs> it was actually direct yeah he nearly he nearly directed and then nearly produced the Joker movie just to show you what we're talking about here. But um, so he and I think as well. I mean, Lynch has said stuff, but Francis Ford Coppola and he said the same thing. They just said that the uh, the Mar the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. This is not what they mean by cinema. Like, what do we think of it? Like, I don't think it's a movie. It's like you know, um, it's like asking an expert on paintings to judge music or something. It's like right. a different medium. So that's a bit of an exaggeration. But I mean, I just someone who became, you know, like a film snob, like back in the 90s. And I really it wasn't just to be a snob. I mean, I really just loved this um, 
aesthetic ideal, I guess I was, was sold and I sort of absorbed it and had my own sort of relationship to it. And then I saw that in the mid two thousands that it really started to disappear. Um, and yeah, so I call it sort of the post cinema era after then. And occasionally you see a piece of cinema, but you know, um, it's like, that's not where the competition is at. You know, I mean, it's like, they're used to, it seems like, uh, viewing films of the past, there seemed to be like this competition, like who could do the best, you know, crime film, who could do the best, you know, uh, action film. And it was like a competition. That's what it looked like. And these great directors who would time and time again, just wow you like Stanley Kubrick and, and Martin Scorsese and, uh, you know, all, all of these, uh, you go down the list and it's just like, you, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, the thing about these Marvel movies and the DC movies to me, uh, it, it really does just seem like it's their, it, it's how they're injecting occult symbolism into the minds of children and to, into the minds of grown, grown children as well. People that look like they're adults, but they're not, but like, it's like all occult symbolism time and time again, all over the place. You, you, you can't get through one of these movies without there being some sort of, some sort of subconscious thing that, that, that you know, to the to the person with eyes to see like you just it, oh there it is there's the symbolism right there there's the subplot right there there's the this or the that and and it's right in front of your face but everyone else is just like drooling and eating popcorn and just taking it in and it's just going in they're so receptive in the in this state you know i'm sure that you guys are aware of like the whole alpha uh alpha waves and all that and all that stuff in the in the 60 frames per second and you know how it the flicker rates and and all of these things that are literally there i go using the word literally but they're 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 there they are there to put somebody into a a hypnotic trance where they're receptive of information and signs and symbols rule the world and that's what's going on in these movies it's why they're every last one of them and it's always the same as advertisement agencies come out and they say the same exact thing. How many times can can one production company make the best movie ever? And it's like every single Marvel movie comes out and it's like, this is the best movie ever. It's like, there's no way. It's just, it doesn't happen that way. I'm sorry. It's trick. It's a trick to get people to go and watch it. And it's so that's what I see their, their purpose as. And I agree with you that they're not very good films. They're just entertainment uh, you know, conspiratainment. And it's just it, like my, my buddy Ivan kind of coined that phrase of conspiratainment where it's like, it's just built to put these ideas in your head. They even use names of controversial figures and, and throughout political history, they'll, they'll reuse names. I've caught them doing it. I haven't got any notes on it, but I'm like, wait a minute. And then I go and listen to some some uh some of the work that like a, a man like richard grove or james corbett does and i listen to them giving these uh, hours long talks about you know uh, about about american history political history and i hear these names i'm like wait a minute that's like that guy that was named in the marvel movie that i that I, i'm like wait a minute hold on yeah hold in the, the bat in the batman film the new batman film they there's all these watergate figures and colson yeah. and mitchell and stuff and when, when there's a new like show about the mitchells coming out with sean penn right right at the same time and sean yeah penn. and they were reenacting i mean we don't have to go into that movie but they were reenacting like the um the even even down to the jack ruby kind of thing they're like reenacting the 
JFK assassination, maybe it was RFK, a little bit of both. I mean, they were doing all kinds of, yeah, totally in that movie. And they do this in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like if you go, I don't know if it's really to this extent, but it's almost like if you, if you were to like go and hear that name again, just like how I go, wait a minute, just like that. Wait, that's, that sounds like that name from the Marvel movie. And then you, maybe it's to discredit the actual story or the actual name, or you go to Google the name or something like that. And the, the character from the movie shows up instead of the actual character from real life, sort of like a, isn't that what they're calling like the memory hole? Isn't that like what, what's been coming out? I've been hearing that term a lot recently, this mem, this idea of a memory hole where it's like, it's, it gets lost and, and uh, anyways, that is, that's something that I've noticed, but back to the Joker for, for a few more minutes. I mean, um, uh, what, what have you guys picked up about, like about how his interactions with his mother are in, in throughout the film? Brett, do you have anything on this one or? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I have. I, I thought Thomas is sort of the expert on the, uh, <laughs> the what's going on with the, the gender dynamics. No, I have, a, I have a lot. I mean, I actually, we did like four episodes, by the way, if people want to check out, um, uh, or we have more in the whole cycle, but I mean, we really talked about a lot that film. Um, so I know, I, I know I covered it, uh, there, but, uh, you know, one thing they do with his mother, I just, uh, off the top of my head on the topic of religious engineering is she knows there's like, she has like a Madonna and child, um, image. I don't think it's an icon exactly, but it's like an image it's like a piece of art. There's some other, I think there's actually a variety perhaps if I recall of like Marian art. Um, around her and there's definitely an attack on the mother figure right is that she's um yeah she's a she's a completely negative character and she's a complete looney tune and i think that's their message that religion i mean why doesn't a person like this turn to religion where's religion of any kind you know in in the movie it's just a godless hopeless black nihilistic world that people like david fincher have cinematically prepared for us and indeed martin scorsese have cinematically prepared this alternate universe for people but there's no right. There's no religion because well, if, I may, if I may interject there, yeah. I, I I would I would view that there is a religion there, and her religion is is uh, she she's praying to Thomas Wayne, and she's praying. Oh to, well, there's religion of all kinds there, but that means there's no like formal right religion as such, except in this in the background and through the the archetypal stuff going on, and there's a lot of that right, even with him. You could even say there's like the story of Moses is involved here, right? Where he thinks that he's the lost child of royalty and, uh, you know, um, so, uh, but, um, oh yeah, but the, with the mother. So yeah, if there's an attack on the, I mean, so there's an attack on the masculine, there's an attack on the feminine, there's an attack on the family. It's, it's all out psychological, you know, attack in this movie. And Thomas should say something, because I think this is, this is almost a, anticipating something further down the line, I think, in the programming going on uh, now um, in terms of gender. Go ahead, Thomas. Sure. Yeah. And I hinted at that earlier. And yeah, I was kind of, Brett, I remember you talking about some of the religious stuff around the mother figure during our initial pass at the Joker on our show. And so thanks for that. But yeah, so a few things that come to mind, like one would be um, the significance of uh, 
Norman Bates, Norma Bates kind of relationship and something like Psycho, which uh, one of our very first episodes on the show, we talked with uh, with Jason Horsley about his analysis of um, of Psycho and the significance of that and the kind of Norma uh, Norma Bates cult that we live in, where it's the, um, the visibility of the sadistic masculine and then the invisibility of the masochistic, uh, you know, feminine, dark maternal figure that envelops everything and the kind of the vengeance against the mother is such a key part of the, um, the almost the archetype of the the Hollywood psychopath, whether that's the director as psychopath or you know, when it's Hitchcock torturing the audience or all these different psychopath figures we get as propped up in, in pop culture. But a lot of the violence there is like this, this, um, this, uh, this unsuccessful attempt to break free of the, the kind of all consuming, all consuming, almost metaphysical force of the dark maternal figure, like Norma Bates, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, taking on Norman Bates, taking on his mother's identity. And so I think you have some hints of that, of the kind of incel alienated, um, a Joker character you know, walking Phoenix is playing engaged in this violence against, uh, against his, this, his own awful villainized mother figure. And then um, you have the general assault on the family as kind of signifying the breakdown of human sanity. You, you have the, the social unrest that we talked about and like there it's glorified in a lot of ways. You know, you're obviously supposed to be thrilled as an audience member when you see, you know, just like him on top of the car, city on fire, people are worshiping. It's, it's very cathartic to see this figure that we've, um, seen kicked around for two hours to gain this much this much power but some of the hints that there's something going awry there like is um one of the big things is the the murder of uh, bruce wayne's parents of thomas and martha wayne where you have uh thomas wayne is obviously very um very much villainized in joker which is also a sign that things are uh are, are going awry and and going downward in terms of the the spiritual and psychological messaging in these movies because as much as there's really suspect dangerous, corrosive stuff in the Nolan movies, there's some positive stuff as well. One of the things being kind of Thomas Wayne as this voice, you know, saying, don't be afraid uh, to, you know, to his son right before he dies. And he's all, he's this voice almost telling Bruce Wayne, don't dissociate into this superhuman fantasy. Don't, you don't have to pretend to be a bat. You can just be human. Uh, and the, the, the whole arc of the Nolan movies is you know, Bruce Wayne kind of learning to be human again, which I think is very positive. And so Thomas Wayne is really, um, is really redemptive there, but then he's just obviously a total villain in this one and in, uh, in in Joker and in the Batman and all of that. So he kind of deserves to die, but Martha Wayne um, certainly doesn't. And so the guy wearing the clown mask, uh, killing both of Bruce's parents, and then you have the the, the cut at the end from uh, Joker and Arkham to seeing Bruce Wayne standing next to the corpses of his murdered parents. So you have just basically the murder of the parole figures as signified this this point when uh when arthur as joker he's reached this point where he's totally in this associative state and he, he doesn't know what's real or not even though he's reveling in the madness the audience doesn't know what's real or not and we're supposed to think that that's interesting and cool but uh it's specifically the death of the of the basically innocent mother figure you know bruce wayne's mother that i think really is the key there that there's something that this revolution isn't all that it's telling us that is that there's some kind of destruction here that's sadistic, that's bad. Um, and so, yeah, those are, so basically the, I don't think that um, Joaquin Phoenix Joker is successfully escaping his kind of evil mother figure. You see him as kind of trapped and get trapped in those traumatizing cycles of generational dysfunction when he kills her. And then with the death of the mother figure with the Waynes, you kind of see the idea that, okay, this, uh, this cathartic revolutionary fantasy is just, a fantasy. This is destructive in a bad way. 
That's the joke, by the way, at the end there. He, he says you wouldn't get it. Yeah. Is that he uh he he's obviously thinking about that. Like that's the that that is how this movie is playing with pe- the audience's mind is by using using our as the viewer our ability to know in the film what is actually going on and what's not that's why you see things like his fantasy relationship with the girl down the hall uh the beginning of the movie where he first gets home and they're doing their nightly ritual of watching murray and he thinks he, he you think as a person in the audience that he's that he's having a flashback to a time that he attended the show come to find out it's actually a a daydream where this is his proxy father because his real father is nowhere to be found that's something you find out very very early on in the movie is that this is that then you know that this is conf- his pro the proxy father figure of murray is confirmed because you find out throughout the movie that this is indeed something that they do every single night he comes home and his mom's asleep in front of the tv what's on the tv murray when they go to the hospital what's on the tv murray he he wants to go and, and and go he goes on the show he's so excited and even when he pictures himself in the audience so anyways like we are in as the audience ourselves of the movie we are trained as the movie is going on to uh not know exactly what is going on in the movie for real and then by the end like you're saying you know the whole fa- the he he is using his mind to like put himself in places and and then we see it on the film as just scenes but like that's actually how it's supposed to be kind of depicted or or taken in and he sees Bruce Wayne in the alley standing over his dead parents and he's chuckling about it and he's like oh it's you wouldn't get it and what he has done effectively what he has made sense of is that through his actions he has put Bruce Wayne in the same position as him and that is the joke is that look what I did, you know, and here's like, here's all this chaos because of me and look what happened. And, you know, he has no idea that he's that through his actions in this little, you know, multiverse, whatever this through this version of the story that through his actions, he's in fact created his, and he's, he's created his, his, the second half of it, because the whole idea of through Jungian uh, psychology is that the, that the Batman is Bruce Wayne's mask. But then there's another element to it too, where there's a mask persona dynamic between the Joker and Batman and that the Batman's mask is Joker. So you have a mask of a mask and that's why through many iterations, iterations of the Joker, both in, in, um, in cartoons and especially in Christopher Nolan's dark Knight the Joker is obsessed with Batman being able to take off his mask. You want to see what's under the mask, the integration of the shadow self with the persona. Like that's, that's a very big uh, underlying theme of the relationship between the Joker and Batman is, is that, is that aspect of it. And then to touch on another point that I think Brett made earlier about, about like, uh, like getting, getting the audience to kind of, I think you said something along the lines of that, that before Joaquin Phoenix, there's never really been a, a backstory. There's never really been like, it's always been, well, here's the Joker. You know, he's the villain, you know, who you, you know, him, you love him, And here he is to do all the things jokers do. 
And this is the first time we actually get a, a name other than, you know, Napier from the, you know, but that was never really, you never really got a chance to see yourself in the Joker before. You never really saw the person, the man, the struggles, the this, the that. It was always like, you know, like the Jack Napier uh, in, in um, what's his face? Like, what? Why am I Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Sorry. <laughs> it happens. But um, anyways, like you, you don't ever get that. You get a few different times throughout history where like they hint at something, but they never really give you, you know, they never really give you anything, you know. And then before that, like the closest you get is um, Alan Moore with The Killing Joke. And he gives him a backstory, but not a name. You never get a name. You, sometimes you get a backstory, but no name. And sometimes you get a name, but hardly ever any backstory. And this time it's like a, this time around, it's like a, uh, you get everything, you get it all, you know? And, uh, his, so what I, about, about his relationship with his mother is like, he is, oh man, he is tortured by that woman. <laughs> and, and, you know, like some, I think I said it earlier tonight about him kind of doling out and dishing out the the punishments and, and being like, no, like you're getting what you fucking deserve. And he, do, he goes and he does that to everyone. He does it. He does it to Thomas Wayne. And that's another part of the joke is that he confronts Thomas Wayne. He gets punched in the face and he gets told his mother's a loon and that he's, then you can tell that he's like getting, getting told he's crazy too. And then he's just like, feels betrayed and, and abandoned by everybody and everything around him, including the world. And he just like had enough. And I think that that's a big, big part of the movie as well is, is this a theme of abandonment and, and, uh, and, and on all levels, uh, physically through the idea of him being, uh, adopted. So there's that aspect emotionally from his mother, spiritually from his father, well, physically from his father as well. But with physical abandonment comes all the other forms of abandonment by default. I've gone over that in my work many times. Is uh, is that uh, when you if you're physically abandoned as a as a child or or whenever, by default, spiritual, emotional, mental, all the other forms of abandonment come with it because obviously there's no one there to tend to those needs, and <laughs> this poor dude, he's he's gone through the ringer with all of those, you know, and the idea of him being adopted or not is is a very big play. Because this is another thing that the, that you never really get confirmation about, but that's another way the movie kind of plays with your own mind as an as a member of the audience, is by making you question exactly what the hell is going on here, and you know you see um, the claim of Thomas Wayne had those papers drawn up, and you know how powerful and rich he is, and and every and all of these different claims, and then you know during that interview that his the, the younger version of his mother penny is as having with that doctor he's picturing picturing himself in the room and obviously that's a transcript of of what was said in the room i believe that there's a tape recorder on the table i could be wrong about that but typically in those types of meetings what's going on is that the doctor is making a shorthand note of everything that was said in the room sometimes there's a tape recorder in the room and so that way they can put it on paper and have it on more of a you know more records at least back in the day that's how it was you could picture that that time frame being probably in the mid 50s to the early 60s 
if uh if 1981 is when the movie is set and he's about 30 something years old they found him four years old is at the time is at that time when she's being interviewed so that i would picture that around you know uh, mid to late 50s something like that maybe even late 40s who knows um but in any case kind of went on a tangent there uh but that's okay i guess yeah, if I could um, jump back to something you said just a couple of minutes ago, I, I think that uh, it's so important the the you wouldn't get it you know, line uh, partially yeah. because Todd Phillips uh, says that that's uh, the only real laughter from him in the movie is is in that scene at the end. You know, because obviously he's laughing you know throughout, but it's this dissociation, it's this uh, this thing he can't control, it's this that this mental disorder, and then a coping the end, mechanism. That's a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uncontrollable coping mechanism for his social alienation, uh, psychological instability, and, and all of these things. And then, um, and then at then at the end, uh, you know, he's laughing for real. Basically, this is part of why the movie works so well. Why uh, just um, just over a decade after this hyper iconic performance of Ledger as the Joker, like how does another performance as the Joker work so well? And it's because it's exactly what. Uh, what, what you guys were talking about in terms of the backstory, not just the backstory for its own sake, but in terms of in a ledger, like we were talking about, is just the devil. Like we have the full power Joker from the beginning. And sure, people still fetishized him, still wore the T-shirts and quoted the why so serious, introduced a little anarchy and all that. But it's this whole new level to the way that people can project themselves into it once you see phoenix doing this such a great role this such a great performance as how do we see the everyman joker who is like the symbol of all these alienations that people can relate to uh learn to wield the satanic powers of dissociation he's laughing for real at the end because like i said it's it's it's, it's the dissociative nature of um uh, of just a, a film of artwork at its manipulative worst. It's blurring the lines of fiction and reality. And now that's basically what the Joker is. Like um, Phoenix has achieved ledger state at um, at the end and people can project themselves into that. And, the, and so much of that is about fame. You know, it's about the fetishization of celebrity, even infamy. That's why so many of these psychopaths and antiheroes, real, uh, real and fictional on and off screen. Um, there's so it's the idea of spectacular crime. You'll have all the eyes on you. So it doesn't matter what you're famous for. You there's still just the power to fame itself, and you get that in the movie with when he's just like you know just like the leader of the riot, the Joker clown god watching the city burn. It's um it's basically it's it's celebrity, it's fame, it's it's uh, it's the worship of somebody who's the center of violent spectacle mixed with dissociation. And like the real irony to this is that the more and more people buy into the Hollywood myth, the more and more people worship the stars on the screen um, in order to gain the sense of power or pseudo meaning in a reality when like the real cultural forces behind Hollywood have like wiped out or tried to wipe out all these other sources of actual human health, stability and meaning, the more people buy into that, the more alienated they're going to be from those actual human foundations. So it's just another vicious cycle, another vicious feedback loop. And, um, and then there's, again, with Joker, it's feedback loops on feedback loops. So it's both that, uh, that cycle of alienation and then the cycle related to people being able to like relate more and more and more project themselves further and further into this nested cycle of dissociations that the character represents. There's also the, uh, there's also the aspect too of, uh, of, you know, even though we are clearly dealing with a psychopath, he is still finding balance. He's in, 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 in Joker, we have 
Arthur and his other side, we have the the mask and the we have the the shadow, and that's the the Joker character when he's got the makeup and he's doing all the bad deeds. It's his shadow. By the end, he's integrated the shadow. He's he's become he's become whole, and that's why the laughter at the end is not the same laughter that you hear throughout the movie. And and as he's killing his mom, he's telling her like, "Oh, all this time you told me I would, there was something wrong with me. Well, it turns out that's who I really am." And it's like, "Well, he's finally he has figured out this way to integrate the shadow self into the persona, and be able to kind of move forward as this balanced being. Although he's balanced in chaos, he's still balanced as a psychopath. It's balance, it's harmony that he that that he has found, and that's another." another uh another thing there about that laughter at the end i never yeah. noticed like but you mentioned it and i'm immediately i'm like oh yeah that's right yep that's absolutely correct you know but i never really took that in and, and noticed that myself thank you for that yeah and um that's what you know all of this uh, occult uh conjunctio oppositorum you know integration of the dark side balancing dark light oh no it just turns out to all be uh, the dark side right after all and so the message you're selling you is right. You're you're infantilized and you're useless and you're non-essential and you're put upon. Oh no, really? Your your trauma makes you into the dark god now and the new mutant and whatever the cipher is. And this directs. I mean, sorry. This relates directly to monarch uh, mind control, at least as described by Fritz Springmeier in collaboration with the supposed victim of it. Um, but. Um, yeah, the the uh, um, the ideas that you are you're subjected to all of this horrible trauma in part to bring out your rage and your anger and your power. So I, I think people could get that that trope. I mean, um, you look at a movie like um, Deadpool, right? The first Deadpool, where they made it into actually a technology, and that's that's just Monarch mind control. That's right. I mean, either they're reading Fritz Springmeier. <laughs> or, or Fritz knew, I mean, that was back in the nineties too, man. It's just, everything is, so I do a whole, I do a series uh, where I, 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 I analyze Monarch themes specifically um, in film, but I wanted to speak to the orphan thing too. So that is something I analyzed on the show and Jonathan Pajot does a good job on this, but I'll add to that, that, so they, I, I'm pretty sure these people like directly were, they were looking into the Jungian stuff. I can't remember if it was Jung himself or certain of his, his students, but they really got into the, what they call the archetype of the orphan. And, you know, the uh the the orphan here is kind of also encoded into his name um arthur flack and he's he has a mother so he's sort of like the he's the the grail knight like he's the clown knight he's the percival right the clown the fool right who's in search of the the holy grail okay but no he's nothing he's a flack right so we have this duality, and that's the same thing with the batman and the joker and the round and round and the and the opposites um going on here but that's paul that's also this sort of orphan bond right like he visits the trauma on batman that was visited on him by by leaving him without without parents in this case so he's he only doesn't have a is lacking a father, but he's really psychologically has no mother, right? Also, that's it. She's the dead. And this is another the dead mother. I don't think that's not Jungian. That's in like Lacan or something else too. There's another. It's the dead. I mean, so there's just. I mean, Batman. All of Batman is this most psychological stuff in comics, and they just went crazy with it, um, basically in this movie. And there's just so much stuff built in. But Jonathan Bajot does a 
does a good job of analyzing some of that stuff, um, you know, with regard to this film as well. Um, so I wanted to say something too about the, okay, we've been talking so much about the blurring of fiction and reality. And so uh, the mechanism here, I mean, this is, this is a magic ritual that when you, when you dissolve the distinction between fiction and reality, you can then use fiction to influence reality. Okay. You can be the wizard of Oz. Um, and so that's, that's what this is. That's what this is about too, is the power, you know, so the, the people who need psychological warfare stuff done for them, right. They're sooner or later, if their, their ops are big enough, they're going to go to Hollywood. And so this is the power Hollywood wields, like even in the, the power of not those, whatever Hollywood is, but the power of people who know the secrets of managing consciousness and how to do it well, because it's, um, what is it the, the line, the David Bowie line in, um, uh, it, science isn't an exact science from uh, the prestige, right? We plays Tesla, you mm. know, who's doing real magic, but it's not an exact. So this, when we talk about the mind control and the techniques and the method, well, exact science isn't an exact science, I think might be, <laughs> uh, might be the line in that, but that's part of the magic. That's what's going on, breaking down these boundaries so that then Hollywood can influence you, influence reality, create reality, uh, manage reality. Um, and the Joker is a, is a prime example of revelation of the method. Like what, a lot of the stuff we've been describing, they're doing to Arthur, happening to Arthur, that's happening to the viewer then vicariously um, through Arthur, you know? Um, so what else did I have? I mean, I, I had just one more point. I mean, we were talking a lot about, you, uh, yeah, great points about flicker rate and, and all of that stuff, right? So we, that's part of what we call the method, right? These uh, hypothetical or not so hypothetical kind of, collection of techniques that are that are kind of trade secrets that are used uh, to manipulate people on a mass scale um, through film. And yeah, that's one of them, the, the flicker, the flicker rate and the light. And that's all part of MK Ultra, right? And, and um, a lot of that stuff. But uh, another thing is just like, so sex and violence, just bombarding people with sex and violence is a form of psychological warfare. This relates to the Phoenix program and how, um, moral terrorism or to come the Joaquin Phoenix program. Right. And so there's a lot of feedback there between the Phoenix program and psychological warfare and culture and so forth, but they understood that bombarding people with sex and violence and terrorizing them, um, uh, made them susceptible to reprogramming and advertisers understand this too. Because if I recall, I read way back in a, when I took a PR class or something or, or some class that like they put commercials often on the news, like, right. They like a lot of violence on the news advertisers. Like it. they put a commercial right after it because when people are, uh, bombarded with a bunch of violence, right. They go into a kind of fight or flight, you know, response and they're looking for safety and comfort. And, you know, here's the, here's the advertising, you know, so if you watch, if you watch natural born killers, he jokes, like he shows you that, right. Or the coat commercial with the bear that makes you soothing right after Mickey's talking about these, like this, like super horrific uh, string of horrible crimes and describing it for the American. Like, so um, yeah, all th this, What's been going on, it, look, it started really in the 60s, late 60s of the new Hollywood era, the way that we have been consistently bombarded with demoralizing, degenerate sex and violence. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't know how libertarian, I understand a lot of your audience is libertarian. They believe in free expression. I come from all that. But I mean, I let that kind of commitment to that and those aesthetic values like not allow me to see what I now can trace like the actual psyops and we've been barely touched the surface here today, but people need to understand that they are under psychological attack through the entertainment industry. So that's my closing remark. <laughs>
Well, that's a that's a great closing remark. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you said that on the on the show this evening. That's that's wonderful. Thank you. And, um, you the the idea of uh, the, the significance of the word phoenix. You know, not to get too schizo about it, but there is something significant to it coming up at all these key places. Thinking about the Phoenix program, thinking about this the significance um, of, of Vietnam and like uh, in these world of nested sites, we can trace throughout history. And then thinking about maybe how that relates to Taxi Driver, which you know again like really accelerates this whole Joker cycle that we're talking about. But thinking you can go think about that. We can think about. Again, I think that I think that Crowley and occultism is a big piece of all this. We can even think about Alan Moore writing Killing Joke, um, you know, that really giving new life to the character of the Joker. And like, you know, in Crowley and Thelema, you have the Mass of the Phoenix. You also have Jazz Coleman kind of um, from the band Killing Joke being kind of interestingly related to some of like the, this creepy clown imagery and stuff like that. And he famously, or not famously, but like, yeah, he did say that uh, he thought that like Keith Ledger was like doing all of his mannerisms in the dark Knight and stuff like that. And anyway, Coleman's really into you know Lovecraft and Crowley and stuff and all of this, but, and then, yeah, then walking Phoenix's, uh, you, know, you know, hippie parents, like they changed their last name to Phoenix because the, 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 you know, the death and rebirth symbolism. So this idea of you know of a coagulate and dissolve like it shows up in all these particular places um yeah for for a reason and um and it's joker is a good movie and part of that is the catharsis a big part of that is the catharsis of whether it's with the mother or with it's the very character of all these things like you're mentioning some of the stuff he's calling out is real and that's part of you know the the, the part of the hollywood psyop which is lionizing the, the this uh the, the the dark masculine for the incel the, the the psychopath and all of that relates to the part that wants to make good movies that wants to you know do skillful filmmaking that needed to get culture collectively into this trance state in the 20th century and beyond through actually caring about accomplishing good art to some degree and like there's some and good art isn't good in itself, but bad art uh, is always a bad thing. And uh, there, there's kind of like, and the, the post-cinema era that we're in is part of that assault on human dignity um, by moving us to a place where we don't even need great directors to be psyoping us in these ways, to be mind screwing us in all these different ways. It's just, it's Marvel, it's Disney, it's all this, uh, it's all this just filth now, this filth that isn't even trying to be great art. And so just to mention that, um, that, uh, that when Hollywood kind of takes over and art and imagination becomes ends in themselves rather than grounded in a coherent worldview, once we give ourselves into the idea that as long as a film is giving us catharsis, then it's a good thing. And we give ourselves over to the Hollywood psyop and to the cultural controllers, it was inevitably going to go to the Disney, Marvel, new Star Wars, whatever crap model, where once we've given ourselves into art for its own sake, it was going to become bad art for its own sake. And so the Joker almost, it's 2019, but it, it almost represents to me, it, and it's calling back, it's set in this earlier era, and it represents an earlier era of psyop that was related to this grandiose style of, uh, of, of filmmaking that was trying to be aesthetically great, related to at least trying to show genuine catharsis, treat real issues, and all of these things. And of course, like with, uh, with this Joker cycle psyop, there was all this evil embedded in that, but I think we're going to end up nostalgic for that level of evil uh, for considering what's coming next, which on a metaphysical, aesthetic, psychological level is going to be so much worse in all these ways. Yeah, it's a sign of the times that the, the amount of 
the the lack of respect that the film make the filmmakers have for the audience these days the the amount of intelligence that these filmmakers think that the average person has with the amount of fi- the the films that are coming out that are that are being popularized there are good films coming out but you have to really dig and find them the, the, i just watched this one the other week a few weeks back called the wave when it stars justin long and personally, I thought that that was a very, very well done film, a very good messaging in there. Um, and, and it was, it was pretty, uh, I'll say trippy <laughs> because it's, it's about, it's about a, it's about a hard lesson learned from, you know, through taking drugs and it's, it's a very good message in there. Actually, um, I would suggest that you guys watch that and maybe let me know what you think. Cause I, I thought it was a very well done film. And I think Justin Long has, has come a long way as a, no pun intended on the name, but I think he's come a long way as an actor, you know, from the, uh, what was it? What was he doing? Like idiocracy, which is hilarious. Like, in, <laughs> but you know, but, uh, that's one, just a, an example that there are good films coming out these days. You know, it's not all bad, but that's what they're popularizing because it's, a, again, they, they have no respect for us. They think we're dumb. <laughs> so they're giving us shitty material to to consume and just go back for more like a like a buffet all you can eat buffet of of crap um there there's a lot there's a lot left that i wish that we could talk about about the joker though um but it's getting to be that time what do you guys say yeah there's always more to say with the joker i mean this <laughs> thing goes on forever i know you've said you've done shows just kind of like going really in depth to the the 2019 movie in particular and yeah pretty much any almost any media that has the Joker is going is seems in some way to be a strange attractor to like this through line through all these dynamics of the Hollywood psyop and then these all these other vectors of the assault on humanity that we've uh, that we've been seeing more and more mainstreamed over the last hundred years. The Joker just seems to be all over those things, and so um, yeah, all, uh, you know, ton more notes on the 2019 movie and just the, the character in general. But you have to, we, I guess, we have to cut it off somewhere. But I just hope that uh I, yeah i hope that people see uh so at least some of these patterns that we're identifying the connection between liminality the trickster spectacular crime fetishization of fame dissociation madness all of this we can go into any one of those things and find historical examples connected to it but just also remember the kind of um the key of uh, a low intensity mk ultra of uh that that uh there are individuals who are getting broken down and turned into wannabe styles of uh you know real life joker figures we see that with all these assassins and stuff like that but really this is all of us we're all they're, they're trying to tell us we're all clowns now and it's not true we're not all clowns now and if we learn to be wary of even really uh, good art and good movies that are pushing these destructive messages will uh, stand a lot better chance for when the messages and the quality of the films collectively get a lot worse. Right. And to, just uh, to your point about being, we're all clowns now, like how you're talking about the end of the movie, everyone's wearing clown masks and everything like that. People might go, but wait, the film is set in 1981. Well, can we, we be clowns now? Well, that's why they use the Charlie Chaplin film, Modern Times, and they really emphasize the title of the film and, the, and, and they emphasize um, the title of Modern so, Times inside the film Joker. Yeah, well, there's a, yeah, there's another thing built, there's another thing built into that is that, so the Ooh. new Hollywood generation is also called the film school generation. And one of the kind of, and I mean, I knew, I know somebody who took classes from Scorsese who, he ended up being an industrial filmmaker, it wasn't a big deal, but I mean, one of the like datums of these people, one of their like maxims is that, and I think this is one of their great discoveries is that movies are not about the era 
they're depicting they're about the era in which they're made and so they did that self-consciously so they made like anti-westerns for example that we all it's like so thinly coated kind of like 60s stuff right now it's not it's 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 becoming more obvious right so they think they've had this discovery that's part of what's going on there too right yeah this is about now of course not really about 1981 but you know you can look into why they're um you know why they're using it. so yeah we did actually i just want to say yeah, we we actually covered i was surprised how much ground we covered i hope this is semi-comprehensible to your audience although i take it they've been kind of primed by this stuff a, a movie that you should see that wow we really to, just to prove we haven't even we haven't really even broken the surface too deeply is chapter 27 i mean there's no there's no question when you watch that movie that everything that we're saying here is uh is known right to to the to the uh to the wizards of oz the people who make hollywood the, the feedback loop the cycle and then the connection to manson and satanism and the rest of it i mean it's it's really that movie is really really out there and it's an info hazard by the way so that movie is a psychological attack on you you should probably know but we trust with the uh with the uh, interpretive tools that we're giving you out there that you'll break the spell of uh, the hollywood superculture Chapter 27, that's the Mark David Chapman film. Is, is that right? And that's the other, that, that, yeah, with Jared Leto, who also played the Joker. And then you're talking about the King of Comedy with Robert De Niro. And then he's in this movie with Joaquin Phoenix. So they're playing, using this. Playing, yeah. Yeah, playing. He's so playing, in, yeah. in the Joker, he's playing the 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 talk show host whereas in the the in the king of comedy he plays the uh the schmuck who wants to be the talk show host so they yeah. and he's actually become yeah he's become murray yeah. Yeah. yeah and this is a way that we can kind of uh connect the dots and draw the web is how they're recycling and reusing these actors for certain roles and you can kind of see a timeline of a bit of a timeline there about about you know how these films could be related and it's about um, not so much cherry picking, but just kind of using it as hints as to what roles have these actors played before and how do they relate to the role that they're playing now. And you can kind of glean more information about the general message from there about how this is kind of trying to put another layer to the onion. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I, I think, I think we did a great job tonight, man, guys, you know, it's been my, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure for real. You're welcome you back anytime, anytime at all, you know, and we can, we can continue this or we can find other films to talk about and it'll be, it'll be fun. And, uh, you know, so did, did you, did Sean McCann mention you does? Is that how you, you know, Sean McCann, of course. Oh yeah. I know Sean McCann. Yeah. So we, yeah, we've, I've collaborated. You should listen to Sean and I, uh, our, one of my Monarch episodes is with Sean. It's called liquid dreams. I mean, that movie will make the hair stand up. I mean the, the, my analysis, don't watch the movie, but our analysis will make the, make the hair in the back of your uh, neck stand up. And yeah, Sean is a great uh, occult, uh, uh, esoteric uh, Hollywood analyst for sure. Yep, for sure, man. I wouldn't be, uh, I, <laughs> I, I might not be doing it in this capacity if it weren't for, for a lot of the conversations. I talk to Sean almost every day, uh, you know, but uh, he, and, he and I have had a very long friendship and I'm very grateful for it. So shout out Sean McCann. Go over to watch Wake the Dead. <laughs> and uh really you know taking his work so um you guys want to plug anything before before we take off yeah just if people aren't familiar with our stuff um then uh psyop-cinema.com uh, tw uh on twitter we're at cinema psyop and patreon.com slash psyop cinema for uh, a lot of bonus content including uh, uh brett's monarch series which i'm sure your listeners will be uh, very interested in so um 
people can check out our episodes on Joker, on Chapter 27, on Jared Leto. Um, we've been kind of circling around um, the vortex of the Joker for a while now. So if people like this conversation, a lot of stuff on our feed where they can um, where they can find more. So um, yeah, I just hope your audience checks us out. Nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to hook you up with Ivan because I think you guys would hit it off and be able to talk a lot about some about some movies with him. He's he's he is uh he's really good he's really good he he loves he loves this kind of conversation so i want to make sure that i get you guys uh you know i get you guys in touch with him um and you know i uh only have a couple of things to do here before we call it a night but i wanted to share my usual kind of housekeeping here and so Black Pill Digest, we're coming back in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's funny, you guys mentioned Sean. This is Sean McCann and I. We do a show once a month uh, coming up in March. We're actually going to be doing two shows due to a scheduling conflict with the guest uh, that we really want to have for this next one. We're going to be talking about the, we're gonna be talking about the uh, government indoctrination camps you guys call the public school system. So we're going to be doing that. That's going to be March 4th, I believe. Keep an eye out for that. And um then if you think that you can do the content creation, if you think that you could be like myself or the gentleman that I had on tonight and you have a lot to say and you see how the media is lying to us, so you want to become the true media, well, this is how you can become the true media. Go to howtobecomethetruemedia.com. It's going to be coming up in April. Enrollment uh, opens in April. And um, we... It is an online technology skill sharing seminar hosted by Mark Passio of whatonearthishappening.com. This year, it's going to uh, start on July 10th, and it's going to go to December 11th, 2023. Total of 23 classes. Uh, there's limited space, so you know, pay attention and get over there and enroll as soon as enrollment opens up. If he fills enrollment before July 4th, then uh, he'll close it. But if he doesn't, the enrollment session period, whatever, will be running between April 1st and July 4th of this year. So um, I took this course. It really bene I benefited a lot from it. And you will too. I guarantee it. If you think that you don't know enough about computers to even take this course, well, I got news for you. He's taking it really from the ground up and he'll teach you from the ground up everything that you need to know in order to get behind a mic and behind a camera and create media, uh, the true media to combat the lies and deceit that we are exposed to on a daily basis in this world. So this is where the battlefield is in the modern times, modern times require modern solutions. So um, there you got that. And last, but certainly not least the seed five metamorphosis uh, conference is coming up September 23rd and the 24th of this year, 2023. And we, it is a free online conference about the occult, esotericism, freedom, history, philosophy, symbolism, and natural law, featuring an all-star lineup of speakers, myself, James Cordiner, Douglas Martin, Nate Cap, Mark Passio, Chris Jansen, Will Keller, Brandon Martin, Leslie Powers, Brandon Spencer, Patty Lager, Dorian Greens, Colin Smith, Dylan McCormick, Mark Devlin, Corey Andrew Logan Hart, and Sethicus Boza. 
And, uh, you know, many of these people I've had on the show. So go back in the history of the show and, and check out some of their work. Uh, go to onegreatworknetwork.com. And uh, uh, every almost every single person on that list is a content creator over there. I can't stress it enough. Go to onegreatworknetwork.com. Support the content creators over there. Support the network over there. This is the hub of where the where the info war is being is being uh <laughs> why did i call it that i don't know but it just came to mind but this is where we're really you know active but please go to um uh go to onegreatworknetwork.com and check that out so we'll have links in the show notes to all that stuff and uh i'll make sure to include links to thomas and brett's work in the in the show notes um and make sure that you guys can figure out how to stay on the up and up with what they're doing. They have a really great show called Cinema PsyOp. Oh, sorry, PsyOp Cinema. My bad, guys. And uh, I thought I saw Cinema PsyOp. That's your Twitter handle, isn't it? So I, in any case. Oh, Thomas got, I think Thomas got cut off. He was just saying, yeah, that is the Twitter handle. Correct. Okay, sweet. Well, um, anyways, that's yeah. it for the show this week. My name is James Cordner. Uh, you can... Expect to see me in a couple of weeks. I'm going to take a little bit of time off from the show. Uh, you'll see me back here at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on, uh, let's see, on March. Yeah, on March 4th for the next edition of Black Pill Digest, like I said. And uh, I'm going to enjoy my time off. And, yeah, that's that. So thank you guys for being here tonight. And uh, I'll catch you guys all on the flip side. Good night. It's been a good conversation. We appreciate it. Because you know there's a handful of people actually run everything. That's true. It's provable. Not it's all about not. control. To them we just cattle. Numbers battling each other while they're creeping in the shadows. Scheming, plotting, clocking your every move. Locked in your mind, brainwashed until it's rocking. Got the population operating as they want them. Symbolically mocking them, thinking nothing can stop them. So open your eyes to the lies of the evil. The poison in the minds and the lives of your people. And every time they lead you down a line to deceive you. And by then, it's always too late to see. Through the veil that they hide behind Cause your third eye is blind Better take a stand We running out of time Ain't nobody coming to save us Fuck what you had in mind Arm yourself with the truth And jump behind the battle line Can we turn it around? Yeah, it's possible Divide the or fall But united world This is for the world This is for the masses Attached to the strings Being pulled by puppet masters This is for the youth Searching for the proof Keep on looking for the clues I'll provide you with some truth This is for the ones Waking up from the spell Beginning to discover themselves. Yeah, this is for the youth. Searching for the truth. Keep on.